This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I play Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. The assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Peacock TV and Netflix, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you would like to support our show, subscribe for free to our new YouTube channel where you can access exclusive content. We have a brand new YouTube handle that makes it easy to find us. That's youtube.com slash at Clear Eyes Full Hearts. Also, we are continuing to release new episodes of the podcast every other week. That's right. So join us as we recap all your favorite episodes and chat with amazing guests. And answer your questions. Email us all that you want to know at clearizefullheartspod at gmail.com today. Season four, episode six, Stay. It was written by Bridget Carpenter and directed by Patrick R. Norris. Our NBC synopsis reads, while Coach Taylor searches for a strategy against the Lions' toughest opponent yet, Julie and Matt attend a concert in Austin and Tim reconnects with Lila. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack in this episode, but before we get into it, we're going to answer some of your fan questions. comes from Blaine Curtis, who asks, do Stacy and Derek still date? <laughs> you want to take this? I want to know what information Blaine has that we don't have. I was unaware that we ever dated. I was unaware that we had dated. To be fair, we still date. We date other people. So yes. Yes, yes we date other people. I will say this. I have said this a million times over in multiple other interviews and things like that. But the first <laughs> time I met Stacy, she denies it. But I'm positive she had a crush on you. You keep saying this. I invited him to my birthday party. I'll keep saying it till the day I die, Stacey, and you'll keep denying it. But I believe oh that you God. had a crush on me. It's okay. I get it. I get the situation. We were working in the same theater, but different yeah. theater companies. And so I was building sets in one mm -hmm. theater. You know, I got like a shirt off and I'm like real hulky. You did not even <laughs> Sure. I don't think I had my shirt off because it was actually really cold out. But I was looking pretty sexy because I was building stuff. And, you know, chicks are into guys that build things. Oh, so I'm God. like building sets. And Stacy came walking in with a mutual friend. And she was like, oh, my God, who mm -hmm. is that? Right. That's exactly how it <laughs> happened. And then you stood up and I was like, oh, wait, no, no. I'm three inches taller than he is. Oh, you're going to make a short joke. Wow. Okay, I see how it is. I'm convinced that you really think this happened. I was excited I to convinced. meet you because you had just come from New York and I was moving to New York. Mm -hmm. You guys, right. I did. I invited him to my party. I don't think you came. I will say that Stacy and I never dated, but Stacy has always been a good wing woman, wing man, wing, wing man. Oh, I can be, you tell me what you need me to be. I can be your wing woman or I can also be a block. Like if you're into it or not, let me know and I will make it happen. Stacy's actually dated and hooked up with some of my friends. 
Mm-hmm. And I've actually hooked up and dated with some of Stacy's friends. But Stacy mm-hmm. and I, no, never dated. Sorry, guys. We would murder each other. Oh, I'd kill you. I would absolutely kill you first. Totally kill you. <laughs> love you, though. Anyway, next question. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Our next question comes from Jessica D, who says, I have always wondered what it is like for an actor when doing an emotional scene to prepare for the scene as well as to transition out of that emotion at the end of the scene and back to reality. Well, that's a good question. Honestly, every actor is different. And I would say I'm different from job to job and scene to scene. You know, there's a really emotional scene coming up at the end of this season with Tim and I. Stacy was in the scene at the start of the scene, too, where Tim basically takes the rap for Billy on the cards that they were. Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. But that was one of those scenes where I think just because we've had the luxury of working on this show for four years, I didn't feel like Mm -hmm. I had to do any kind of prep work at all. Taylor and I were already friends. And so there was literally no prep work done whatsoever. The minute he said, I'm going to take the rap, my eyes just, it was floodgates. I think because you've lived in that character for so long, but there are times where you're working on another show. If you're a guest star. You're a guest star and you literally just show up to set and, hey, hi, nice to meet you. You're meeting the person who's your wife and your wife is on her deathbed in this scene. And that takes a little prepping for me. It doesn't come as easily in those kind of moments. But every scene is different. What I'll do sometimes is I try to put myself in what they call the imaginary if, like what if this was happening to me instead of taking myself out of the scene and imagining something that has happened to me. I try to imagine what would happen if this person was my wife and what that would feel like if the person that I loved, I was losing this person. You know, and really put yourself in that moment. And sometimes it just kind of takes a little silence before the scene while, Mm -hmm. you know, they're setting up lights and everything else just to kind of be in a corner by yourself and focusing on that. I mean, I know actors that listen to music. And Stacey, what's your thing? There's so many different answers to this question. There's a thing I think that trained theater actors are taught to do. And it's the minute you walk in that door, you leave your baggage there. You leave your baggage at the door. You come inside a theater and you do the work you're supposed to do. So like if you just broke up with your boyfriend, if you have food poisoning, no matter what it is, you leave it at the door, you do the work and then you leave, you pick your stuff up and you go back out and you have your day. So you're not taking your stuff into the theater with you. And on set, it feels a little different because there's so much downtime and there's downtime where we just sit and talk as each other. So like emotions come into it and whatever. Sometimes I'll ask if it's really heavy for like, give me a two minute warning before we shoot and I'll go be by myself Mm -hmm. to get where I need to be. But usually it's whatever. There was only one day I was just trying to look up the actor's name and I'm going to look it up in a minute. He actually just passed away, but he was a guest star with me on Criminal Minds. He liked the way that I smelled. So he kidnapped me and he was going to dump me in a vat of acid and turn me into a candle. (laughs) I remember Like you do. There was one day, it was our last day of shooting and it was like right before Christmas, it was freezing. I was tied up to a chair in ropes. I had actual duct tape on my mouth and I had to be sobbing and screaming. And then he rips the tape off my mouth and it was real and it really, really hurt. And then we went right from that screaming and sobbing, screaming and sobbing to me being on like a stretcher, getting lowered into really cold water, pretty much naked. And like, it was just an entire day of, I had to be at a 10 the whole time. And that's the only day that I've taken it home with me because I'd spent like nine hours in that space. I couldn't shake it. And it felt really yucky. That's the only time though, that I've taken something home. It's really easy for me to leave it there. And I feel good about that. You and I were good about that. I think we sort of worked the same. We would do the work and feel good. And then we would like go out and that part of the day was done. Yeah. Usually for me, the minute they yell cut, I'm, if I'm wiping snot bubbles out of my nose, you know, getting the tears out of my eyes Mm -hmm. within two seconds, I'm usually making a joke. Yeah. And even if we're going to do it again, then you pick up what you need to. Yeah. And then there are some times where I was working on a show called Game of Silence. My character had just been arrested for a murder 
Anyway, long story short, the guy who shows up that's the public defender winds up being one of my best friends from elementary school. And we all went through this traumatic thing together. And when he came in the room, I went to shake his hand. When we were shooting a scene, I went to shake his hand. He shook my hand. We shot it. The actor that I was working across from was a guy named David Lyons. Really nice guy, really good actor. And I said, David, I said, if you hug me when I go to shake your hand, I'm going to lose it. And he said, you want me to do that? And I said, would you mind? And so when I went to shake his hand, he gave me a hug and it was just like, boom. Tears just started flowing. Sometimes you just need something like that. Sometimes you have to ask that other actor if they wouldn't mind doing it. That's a brave thing to even ask, though. And I wasn't just a guest star on this one. You know, sometimes when you're just the guest star, it's like, man, you know, just... You can't ask. Find it within yourself. You can't really ask. Also, when I'm a guest star, I'm not against asking hair and makeup for a tear stick. If at the start of the scene, I have to be sobbing, going to dab a little of that tear stick in my eye. It's like Vicks Vapor Rub and it makes your tears well up. Sometimes... You'll do a scene and at the end of the scene, you're exactly in the emotional space you need to be at the beginning of the scene. So you're like, go again, go again, right now, right now, right now, and stay in that space. And I like it when that happens too. That was one luxury of working on a show like Friday Night Lights too, is that when I was working with Peter Berg on the show, you would do four takes on one role of film, you know? So like, it'd be like take one, but you do the scene maybe two or three times back to back to back to back, or sometimes stop in the middle of it and start over. So there really wasn't like what you would traditionally call a take because Pete would be yelling stuff out. If I was yelling at Tim in a scene, he'd be like, no, man, really yell at him. Then you'd up the ante, but it was all happening in the scene. You weren't cutting and then taking a five minute break and they weren't adjusting lights. You were literally doing it in the moment. You stayed in that emotional space. That was one of the benefits Mm -hmm. of working on a show like Friday Night Lights because a lot of times, you know, as Stacey can attest on other shows, when they yell cut, they're adjusting lights, you know, makeup's coming over and getting the tears out of your eyes. And it's a good five, 10 minute break anytime they yell cut. Whatever emotional space you were in in that moment is completely and totally gone 10 minutes later. That's a great question. Thank you for asking that. That was from Jessica. Our final question comes from Dennis in Massachusetts who asks, who do you think would win? The first season Panthers or the last season Lions. That is a really good question. Good God, that's a good question. I will say this, like as much as I love Saracen and Saracen was like kind of the guy who was against all odds. Yeah. Saracen was on a really, really good team. He had a running back and smash. The Lions had Vince and Vince was like a stud quarterback. What if we had season one street? Yeah. I'm going to go with Dylan if it's season one street. Dylan, if we have street, I'm giving it to Dylan. Yeah. God, that's a good question. It's a great question. It's a great question. Especially coming from the episode we're talking about today where like you and Tim go out there and destroy these boys. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of, I I think we should probably jump into the episode. Do you want to talk about us dating a little bit more? No, I'm good. Okay, let's go. bad. I just want to talk about how much I love these opening establishing shots of East Dillon. We see the rundown pack and save that little convenience store. And then we see Luke running down that lonely country road, as well as the barbershop that Vince and Calvin are in. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to give a shout out once again to our location scouts for finding these spots. They always find the greatest spots to shoot this stuff. And it just really kind of establishes what this town of East Dillon looks like and feels like. It's different from West Dillon. Dillon is a small town, but they made this feel really 
different from West Dillon. Yes, yes. There's definitely a part of Dillon that we didn't know existed before. Yeah. And as I've said before, this is something that you're not going to be able to find on some back lot in Burbank. So kudos to our location scouts. It just also feels more lived in. Like those people have been there. Everybody knows everybody in East Dillon. I hadn't thought about that. Hi, Lila. Like my heart had a little warm hug when he opened up the door and it wasn't Becky and it was Lila. And I was like, oh, Yay. That was the first thing I thought when I heard the knocking. I'm like, oh, my God. Again. Go away, Becky. No offense. Love Becky, as we said. But, you know, it's a little annoying. I'm knocking on the door. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, this transition from season three to season four with all these new characters, as we've said before, it was really fluid. But it also is like, oh, oh yeah, I remember I this. remember. That feels good. Yeah. yeah, it feels good. Feels good to have Lila back. I love Landry. I love Landry and Matt. I love them together. I think their friendship might be my favorite. I can't say that though. Tim and Street are good too. They're all my favorite. What am I talking about? I'm going to go Landry and Matt. I mean, the two of them together. They're are just, so good. Yeah, simpatico. Also, they are good friends in real life too. And you can just see sometimes yeah. when that just transfers onto the screen. Feels yeah. to me like maybe Matt hasn't fully dealt with the death of his father. It's not necessarily like a ticking time bomb. I don't think he's going to explode, but some. Thing is in there. <laughs> yeah. In my own experience with death, it gives you a sense of your own mortality and starts putting things in perspective in terms of what you want out of life. And, you know, mm-hmm. we have a tendency as people to think that we've got all the time in the world. And then the minute there's a death, it's like, actually, we don't. And so you better go capture the things that you want to. And I agree with you. I don't think that Matt has fully dealt with his father's death at this point in time. And I agree. I don't think he's a ticking time bomb, but I do think yeah. there's probably going to be something big changing. There's something really important that happens in this scene, though, not just these two buddies hanging out. We learn that Matt's father's death, because of his death, the government is going to give the Saracens $100,000, which means that grandma is basically taken care of at this point. They have enough money financially to take care of grandma. And if that's the case, it also means that Matt doesn't have to stay in Dylan to take care of her anymore. So this could wind up being a massive game changer. Those two things happening back to back. You know, his father just passed away. And then on top of it, it's a lot of money for them. You know, yeah, it's just a lot lot of money for anyone. Matt too though there's yes. a sweet I mean it's at the end and we'll get there but it's only in voiceover that you hear Kim Dickens and Luann talk about getting a new TV screen I thought it was really sweet yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you guys got a little cash right now Julie wants to go to this music festival in Austin midweek I'm not mad at her for doing this I'm like yeah go like you're good your mom's gonna get mad go no I don't know why I'm not mad at her for this did you do stuff like that? God, no. Oh my God, I would, I would be killed. No, I never even snuck out of the house. Oh, I snuck out of the house. I lied no, about I stuff, but I didn't just say, hey, I'm doing what I want to do. No way. I lied. Yeah. This drove my mom crazy. Sometimes I would do something knowing the consequences and be like, yep, it's worth it. Like, I'll be mm-hmm. grounded for a week, but it's worth it. And she, like, hated that I had that mentality. <laughs> I wouldn't do this, though. This is a true story here, Stace. I was in high school. My curfew, I think, was like 11 p.m. or something like that. So it was me, my buddy Marco, and my buddy JJ, who were brothers that lived next door to me. And there were, like, 10 girls with us. And we were in JJ's Aerostar. It was an Aerostar. How you remember you those? you 10 girls to be with you guys in a van? Because we had a car. Okay. JJ was 16, and the rest of us okay. were, like, 15 and 14. I think Marco was 13. Like, nobody had cars. JJ was the only person who had a car, and because he was Marco's brother, he would drive us around everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I came home. My curfew was 11 p.m. There were, like, 10 of us in the van. We were all going to go back out. We were going drinking and, you know doing all kinds mm-hmm. of awful stuff. Don't listen, dad. Oh, my dad knows. Trust no, me. Oh, I know. So I came home <laughs> and I go, 
hey, dad, I'm, I'm home, but I'm going to go spend the night over at Marco and JJ's. They live right across the street. And I would do that all the time. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. He goes back to bed. I go back out of the house. I get back in the van. We're driving down the road. And all of a sudden, the garage door comes swoom, flinging open. My dad is in his underwear. Oh, God. And as I said, there's like 10 girls in the car with us. And my dad can whistle louder than anybody on the planet. He goes, whistles. And we stopped at the stop sign at the end of my street. And the, everyone's like, go, go, go. Who's that crazy guy? Who's the guy in his underwear? Oh, God. And I'm like, JJ, we got to go back. And we literally probably sat at the stop sign for a good like 20 seconds. And I'm like, we got to go back. We got to go back. And of course, JJ drives me back. My dad's still in his underwear in the front yard. The girls are all giggling. I'm mortified. 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 And I get out of, you know, the sliding door of the Aerostar, get out of the car and like go back inside the house. And my dad's like, why are you lying to me? I mean, I got caught red handed. But no, I would never in the Julie situation, Julie just being like, I'm going to go out with my friends or I'm going to go to Austin. Like, are you out of your mind? Yeah, during a school week. Like, I'm I'm going to skip school and drive somewhere you told me not to. Absolutely. That's dangerous. Every time I lied to my dad, I got caught. We have a friend named Lily and she's like, you're either a get caught person or a not get caught person. I think I'm a not get caught person. Yeah. On top of it, she does what she does. And then she comes home and in the end has her mom like hugging or crying with her. And I'm like, oh, yes, she does a little guilt trip. But also I gave it to her because she was really sad. But I'm like, she was really sad. But I'm like, wow, she's good. good. She's good. (laughs) All right. We got to move on here. (laughs) Okay, Jess, I can't figure out the timeline. How long has it been since? Landry kissed Jess to them talking at school. It's been a while because we've had a death and a funeral. So they just haven't talked about this. And apparently so much has built up in Jess that she's not having it. She full on slaps Landry in the face. She does. And I love that Landry's response is, he goes, oh, I really did not see that coming. <laughs> and that's exactly what I was thinking as it happened. I was like, whoa, wow. Exactly. I, just- <laughs> I can't tell. Is she mad because he hasn't done anything yet or just like mad that the kiss happened? She's feeling some things. I don't feel he like she's mad that the kiss face. happened. I think she's mad that like that's his response to it. Like that's your response. Oh, that it's Tyra too that he's talking about. Yeah, that you're talking about this other girl. It's like you yeah. got something stellar right in front of you. It's like literally smacking sense into him. I love that moment. It was great. I did not see it coming either. It's one of the few times I will agree with assault. <laughs> and it's on Landry. And it's the worst. Okay, yes. Becky, Becky, Becky. I need Becky to stop going to the trailer ever. It's never good. And it's yes. always cringe. It was cringe. But I will say that I do kind of love the maturity of Lila in this situation. She's a little grown up. Like instead of getting like angry or upset or getting pissed off that maybe he's got a girlfriend, she just kind of laughs it off. And it's like, you got a girlfriend? Like, did you not tell me you had a girlfriend? It's not jealousy. There's not emotion there. I kind of dig this new Lila. She's kind of matured a little. I love this new Lila. Yeah, something about being away from home and at college and whatever. She's loosened up. She's loosened up and she's confident. And I don't know, it's very lived in. I really like this Lila a lot. Yeah, not to say that I didn't like the old Lila, but the old Lila could also be a little annoying sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. God, think about the journey from her from pilot to now. That's so buttoned up. Christian family, perfect cheerleader, whatever, to this Lila. Like, her arc has been massive. Like, I want to date this Lila. I want to date this Lila. I would have dated the last Lila. She was hot. She was just a little bit of a nutcase. Ridiculously hot. Yes. Derek likes a little (laughs) bit of a nutcase. Hey, now. The questions to all of the players and coaches from this TV crew, the only acceptable answer 
is tinkers when all he does is laugh at the question, are you going to win? His response pretty much nails exactly how I was feeling. Meanwhile, I'm watching the scene with Julie and Matt on their road trip to Austin. And I got to tell you, there is no way that I would be this calm if I'd broken the rules and left town and I wasn't supposed to. And she's got some gargantuan cojones. Yeah, she is very calm. She's kind of always been like that, though. She went to the bar when she went out to see the Swede. She's like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. go do this thing. But like the minute my dad would have called, my heart would have been boop, 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 boop. There's no way I could have had fun at that point. I would think halfway to Austin, you could still hear your father's whistle, too. Yeah. Like, I gotta, I gotta go. I'd be nervous. He was chasing <laughs> me down I-35 in his underwear. Yeah. The minute I do something I know I'm not supposed to, I beat red and, and I feel hot and the guilt eats me up in a way that makes me want to vomit. So I would have been that way the whole time. Yeah. She's very cool. And just so people at home know, this was like 1990. My dad in the 90s was a tidy whitey man. So just to give you a That visual, was the picture yes. in my head. Yes. It was, you know, Walter White-esque mm -hmm. tidy whiteys. My dad's got it. He's a, he's a large fellow. So, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of a stomach hanging over just to give all the fans at home a little visual of what these poor, innocent teenage girls <laughs> got to see. Billy Riggins would do that when his son tries to sneak out. 100%. 100%. Every time we go into Jess's family and we're around the Merryweathers, there's something so lived in and so mysterious. I have so many questions and I want to know so much more. There's something here between Jess's dad and Vince that's not good. And maybe it's just the fact that Vince has been in trouble a lot and it's a small enough town that he knows it, but I'm right there with you. And his mom is trouble and whatever, but yeah. it was a big response from Steve Harris. He did For not sure. want Vince there. We know that they used to date. I'm putting date in quotation marks. I don't yeah. know if they hooked up or if they dated. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. But I'm not sure what Jess's dad's problem with Vince is, but maybe it's that. And to be honest with you, I can't remember if we ever find out because I know Steve Harris isn't around very Steve well. Steve Harris has so many actor secrets and I just want to be like, tell me, tell me what this is. I'm right there with you. Why do uh. you hate everybody? Luke Cafferty, he's such a sweet boy. <laughs> Becky, go out with this boy. He's so sweet and he brings her sweet things and like he really just genuinely wants to spend time with her because he likes her and it's very sweet and that's what high school kids should be doing. And then... She slammed her locker and ran away. And it was one of the locks that you have to like take off and put back on. And she didn't. And she slammed the door and the lock wasn't put back on. And it killed me. That drove you nuts? Your OCD was in overdrive? I actually watched it twice to make sure that it was that <laughs> lock and not one that was connected to the locker. And I'm like, absolutely not. As a director, I'd be like, no, you can't do that. With regards to Luke Cafferty and Becky, don't worry, because I'll be there. Billy Riggins in season five to set these two up. I'm like Yenta and Fiddler on the Roof. You Yenta these people? Yeah. Okay. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a fine, catch me a catch. Isn't that how it goes? That is absolutely how it goes. I love that you All know right. that. I'm not singing anymore, but that's it. I'll wait for it. But I also want Becky to like be a teenager. She's mm -hmm. young too. I think she's what, 15? Yeah. But don't both of us set them up basically? Isn't that our yes. job? Yeah. Well, I tell them to have sex. Like Mindy <laughs> tells them incredibly terrible advice. I remember the scene being like, you guys need to go have sex and calm down. Uh, Billy's advice is terrible too. But yeah, yeah, I want her to like be 15 and calm down and, and be a normal teenager for a while and get rides places from people. Okay, there were two scenes where Tammy is on the phone 
leaving messages for Julie. Connie got right into it, man. That tone of voice that happens from a parent. Now I am 40 and it made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up because I was like, that voice means you're in trouble. Oh God. 100%. And and as I said before, there is absolutely no way after hearing those voicemails that I'd be able to have a decent time wherever I was. No, because you're so much trouble. Yeah. I also love that Tammy ends the scene by telling Gracie Bell, you are my favorite daughter. You're my favorite daughter. But Connie (laughs) got right into that tone of voice that we're like, you're trying to keep it together, but your kid is in so much trouble. When I was in trouble with my dad, it was the worst because he was so calm. Yeah. And I knew when he got really calm that I was in big, big trouble. Yeah. But I would rather you just yell. <laughs> the best line in the episode may go to Gracie Bell, too. What'd Do you remember? Because right after Tammy hung up the phone, she goes, uh oh. <laughs> that is true. Oh, it's perfect. Perfect. Uh-oh. everything. Oh my God. What did it feel like to put pads back on? (laughs) I did not know you did this. I guess I was probably 35 years old or something. Probably around 35 years old when we shot this. 34, maybe. 18, 20 years since you had had pads on. Yeah. And I was so excited for this day. You guys have no clue. I mean, anyone who played high school football, when your career is over with, like all you want to do is put pads back on. Yeah. and hit somebody again. And I was so excited for this day. Over that course of time, I'd played flag football with friends and, you know, had pickup games and played in a league. And like, I missed football so much. And then this happened like out of the blue. It was like the greatest thing on the planet. And I remember getting out there. I can't remember my stunt double's last name, but his name was Tori. I remember I said, dude, let's hit each other. And he goes, you know, we're not really supposed to hit the actors. And I go, just give me one like bowl in the ring style. We did like a, a what's called a hamburger drill where you lay on your back. And I hit him and all of a sudden... I had nerve damage shot through my neck, what's called a stinger, basically, just like this pain going down my shoulder. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's it does what not Tori feel. was telling you not to do. Exactly. And I, of course, wasn't going to let, you know, the producers and everyone else know this at this point in time. I had my pads on for five minutes, hit one dude. And then I was like, that did not feel good. That did not feel like it used to when I was 18 years old. Weren't you wearing a, the 33? Didn't you have on Tim's jersey? Yeah. So good. I think we just assumed that Billy was probably 33 as well. Because I was actually in high school, I was 32. That's cool. I never thought about that, that you guys had the same number. Here's a cool story. So in high school, I was 32. And then my little brother, when he came into high school, he was 32. And now my nephew, who's playing football, is also 32. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So I assume Billy was 33 and Tim was 33 because Billy was. That's how I played it. But also like the two of you, but I mean, especially Tim could take down this team like this one guy and all the other players are like he's so big he's so fast I can't I can't do this (laughs) I love that they made it look like Billy was a stud that was fun you guys were together you were a force that that whole team could not reckon with (laughs) (laughs) yeah we were blowing up everything in their backfield it was fun I can't tell you how exciting it was to be that age all my friends that I played football with they were so jealous that I got to have that experience because all of us talk about how much we wish we could go back and play coach says and here to whatever Billy and Tim Riggins. And I was like, no way. And then I was like, oh God. <laughs> oh, oh, for real. You really did that. Okay. I was actually a little <laughs> nervous that I wasn't going to look like an old man in a football uniform. And no. It, it looked all right. I was happy with it. I love drunk Lila. I have always loved drunk Lila. She's always been my favorite. Like when we had that scene where we were playing like video games or whatever in the house. 
Yeah. I remember like shooting this scene. I got to tell you, watching this scene is why I don't like going back and watching myself because my skin was very bad that season. And there were some close-up shots. Yeah. Your skin, meanwhile, looks great right now. There's lots of lasers have happened since then. <laughs> it's funny that you say that, though, because I'm watching the scene and I'm from the same standpoint, I'm going, oh, my God. Why is my face so fat? So like, I'm not watching Friday Night Lights at that point. I'm just like, oh God, this is why I don't do this. Yeah, I I had to years ago just say, okay, separate yourself from it and go, is the performance good? Because that's all that matters. The performance was good. Yeah, and that's all that matters. Guys, it's hard to watch yourself. Especially, yeah, the younger self. My face fat too. Had all that baby fat on my face. You've probably heard a voicemail that you left for somebody at some point in time. Mm -hmm. And then you go back and listen, you're like, Is that what I sound like? And that's kind of what it is constantly. My best friend, Megan, we've been best friends since we were 10, found a video at home and it's of me saying something to the leaving seniors in high school. Mm -hmm. And we were laughing our faces off. I did not know I had such a, I had such an accent in this thing. And we were like, who is that girl? And why does she talk like that? Yeah. We have a good mutual friend, a guy named Paul Edelstein, who's a really talented actor. He's the one that like is good about this. Yeah. And I called Paul on the phone right after Friday Night Lights. I'd watched the first episode and I was, you know, really judgmental of the way I looked. And I called mm-hmm. Paul. If you guys aren't familiar with Paul Edelstein's work, go look him up. He's a really just talented, go watch amazing prison guy. Prison Break and be scared out of your mind. Yeah. He's also in the movie, The Menu, that just came out. Yeah. But Paul's a great guy and always been kind of a mentor to me. So I called Paul on the phone and I said, man, you know, I hate the way I look. And this is like, do you find like a good angle? Like, do you know what your angle is or like yeah. what, what your good side is? And he goes, dude, get all that crap out of your head. He's like, your job is to act, be an actor, be truthful, forget about all that stuff. And it was really something that I needed to hear when I was first starting out. And it's still something to this day. He gave the same advice to me and Steve too. And honestly, to hear it from Mm -hmm. somebody that I respected so much, I was like, you're right. I have to get out of my own way or else I'm not doing the work. Yeah, our job as actors is to serve the story, not to serve ourselves. So, you know, if I start worrying about what angle looks best or what side of my face is the best for this shot, then I'm not doing my job as an actor, which is just to be truthful in that scene. To be fair, though, I have worked with an Oscar winning actress and she helps set up the lights for the scene. And mm-hmm. watching her do it is magic because she's been doing it for so long that she knows exactly where to place the lights that it's going to make her skin look the best. And I'm like, yeah. <gasps> I was mesmerized by it because she was right. And she was telling other people how to do their jobs better. And she did it in a way that was so graceful and so wonderful. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to learn how to light myself that way. And then you can get into the performance because you know everything else is said. <laughs> but on FNL, nope. It was just close-ups and bad lighting. That was the whole point of the show. Yep. Okay. I would love to see Vince fight JD like they almost did in Sears. I would too. I just want to see him. I'm so sorry. I want to see him punch JD. Is that bad? (laughs) I think everyone wants to see JD get punched. (laughs) Not by his father, by a peer. yes. By a peer, yes. I love that Coach Stan steps in and breaks this fight up. Russell DeGrazer is like the nicest dude on the planet, but you wouldn't want to mess with him. I mean, the guy is jacked. Also, I love that they have to go watch game film at the Sears that Coach Stan works in. I love it. I forgot that he worked at Sears until then. That's great. I love that scene. I really was hoping it would escalate and maybe JD would get a flat screen broken over his head. But unfortunately, it didn't happen the way that I wanted to. 
But I do love that Coach Stan breaks it up. I love Luke and Vince too. I actually don't know what happens with their relationship or as friends, but I feel like they're at least working together as teammates here or starting to because Coach is Coach and Coach does his job really well. What's the saying? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Sure, yeah. And that's kind of what it is. And again, guys, I love Jeremy Sumter. Even his own father hates him. His own father beats his face in. Well, maybe Becky and JD should date. (laughs) Let's move on. I loved seeing... It was just like a two frame of Matt and Julie. And then it cut to a two frame of Tim and Lila. And it felt so comfortable and lived in. And it made me feel safe. And back to like season one, the FNL that I grew up with. I don't even think the writers did this for that reason, but it made me remember how much and why I fell in love with the show in the first place. It was Mm -hmm. like putting on your favorite hoodie and feeling all (laughs) warm. I couldn't feel comfortable and warm because I kept waiting for Tammy to come busting through that hotel room door. Mm. Not in her underwear, but no, I just kept waiting for Tammy to like literally kick the Mm. door down. I was scared to death that she was coming to Austin. So I could not get comfortable. You said it's like a blanket or it's like Mm. a hoodie. It's like your comfortable space because these are the characters that we've grown to love so much over the last four seasons. We know know? them so well. Yeah. That being said, because we know them so well, this scene in that trailer with Lila and Tim and she asks him, what do you want? And he just says you. And then he says it again. I like felt all of the emotions in this because he still really loves her. And also just because Taylor is so, so good in that moment. And to be like completely open and honest, I'm kind of going through the same thing right now in my life in a weird way. And Mm -hmm. him saying that was like, Taylor killed me in this scene. Oh, dude, he crushed that scene. It was a really, really beautiful scene and heartbreaking because you know that Lila loves Tim. Loves. But she's not really in love with Tim. She is in a space where she knows they can't be together, but they're still physically, they can't not be with each other. We just know that it's not reciprocated, but I just want to give a shout out to Taylor in this moment because the pauses he takes in this moment, he earns every single one of them. God, it's so good. It's really beautiful. It's so honest. As a person. He's such a meathead. And so am I. But I mean, he just crushes that scene. It's so simple. So well for both of them. So good. So quiet. They've earned their pauses in those moments. It's a tough thing to do, to earn those pauses, to earn those beats, to earn those moments. It feels very, very risky to sometimes not say anything and to give space in a scene. It took me at least two years on FNL before I was comfortable with it. And I only got that way by watching everyone else do it. And earning it. Like you said, you can't just do it. You have to be And also knowing that on a show like this, that you have the ability to do that because Mm -hmm. a lot of shows go, they're not talking. We got to trim it. We got to trim it. And Friday Night Lights goes, no, there's a lot going on there. You don't always need words. Unprepared. I was unprepared for that. Matt, I can't believe Julie didn't tell Matt that she didn't have permission to do this. And he didn't know. I can't imagine the guilt that he feels knowing that in that amazing phone call again from Jesse Plemons. They're so good. But (laughs) that he has this information now and he's such a good guy and he's always the good guy. And almost, I think if I were him or I expected Matt to like behind Julie's back, call the Taylors and be like, I didn't know she's here. She's safe. I'll bring her home. He didn't. I wonder if he did. Because it seems like that would be something he would do. Behind Julie's back, definitely. Yes, 100%. Texting wasn't around then, but be like, 
Julie say if she's here? I'm so sorry. God, was texting around then? I can't even, I think it was. Was it? I think it was, but like you had to text via like QWERTY, 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 what do they call it? Q-W-E-R-T-Y? We just got iPhones or BBM. Yeah, like Black you had, when you were Messenger. texting, you had to like literally text. All you had was like the numbers on the keypad. So it would be like A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, whatever. And it was really difficult to text. Hard time. Because my ex-girlfriend at the time, Kim, was really, really good at like texting Mm-hmm. With the what do they call the it? Qwerty, 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 qwerty which is like impossible to text on. But Kim was like, uh, and then Blackberries <laughs> came out, and all of yep. us were like, oh, forget that Blackberry Messenger. I love that Angela Renee is getting her first taste of what her Friday nights are going to be from here on out in the stands. Get used to it, Angela. And I want so badly for Vince's mom to like find some inner peace and get her life straight because I think deep down inside there's a person who loves her son there. You know what I mean? she went out of her way to get there to see him play. So we're seeing the beginnings of I need to be there for my son. The beginnings of it. God, she's so good. She is. And I can't even tell you how good looking Angela is in real life. And Mm -hmm. man, they do her a disservice on this show. Or they do her all of the service because God, it's good. Exactly. The East Dillon Lions are also looking pretty decent here, Stacey. Speaking of looking good. Okay. They've got a nice little one-two punch here going with Luke and Vince. Unfortunately, it's not enough, but I mean, this team is kind of coming together. They're putting points on the board finally. They're not giving up 40 points a game anymore. I liked Coach's speech at the end too. I think it was really honest and like you guys, you earned respect out here tonight. You didn't win, but... You know what's interesting about this episode too? Nobody Garrity in this episode. There's a tiny one shot of him. Is there? He was at the game. Oh, in the stands probably. In the stands, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. But very little coach. Yeah, very little coach. You know, this is kind of an episode where you're kind of focused more on the kids and what's going on in their lives. That's why I would say this isn't a show about football at all. I mean, this episode's barely about football. Uh, I don't buy Becky being in the stands. I don't buy it. I don't think she would want to be there. She doesn't really like Luke. And also, how the heck did she get there? How did she get to that school when she can't even get to her own school? I don't buy it. I don't buy Becky being there. I don't think she cares about football. I don't know. But like, but it's a big event because it's a televised game or something. You maybe, know? Oh, maybe she wants to be on TV. See, sometimes you do Who that. Knows? Sometimes you come up with a little thing that makes me go, okay, fine, I'll give in. Mm-hmm. Second question, because guys, these are the things that I, oh, my stupid brain. This is why I'm impossible to date. Why doesn't Lila have a car? Tim takes her to the bus station to go back to school. Her dad owns a car dealership. These are the questions that keep me up at night. Maybe her car broke down and it's back at school. Maybe Becky took a subway to the game. Maybe after the scene, she went back to her locker and then locked the the locker back up. Stacey, just watch the damn show. Maybe she stole Lila's car and went to the football game. Yes, maybe that's exactly what. Maybe Becky stole Lila's car and that's why Lila doesn't have a car. I don't just watch the show. No, I can't. I can't. We've already discussed how there's a massive subway system in Dillon, Texas. Oh, that's and that's right. how people get around. She's Louise. The underground world of Dillon, Texas. <laughs> the dart bus. All right. Meanwhile, on a serious note, I just want to talk about the scene with Matt and Julie where they're at this music festival. He asked her if he should leave Dylan. Oh, my God. Amy Teagarden hits it out of the park in this scene. And Patrick Norris, who is the director of this episode, mm-hmm. does such a wonderful job of intercutting with the band. The band is actually called the Heartless Bastards. Mm-hmm. Amazing band. While they're on stage. This is just another benefit, once again, of shooting in Austin, Texas. It's called the live music capital of the world for a reason. And the show had access to so many wonderful musicians. And this is just, as I said, another example of putting the environment to 
good use. I love that scene though. It's a beautiful scene between these two. It's a beautiful scene too. And I loved how they, because we've talked about this before guys, like when they were shooting that scene, it was absolutely quiet, but they are screaming at each other. I love you to be able to be heard over what will be the band in there. And they did a really good job of being so small and together, but also screaming at each other, I love you. And you can see that fear in Julie's eyes that she knows Matt. She's losing him. She's hanging on by a thread. It's heartbreak because we've grown to love these two so much and I love them together, you know? I think maybe that's why I wasn't so mad at her making this decision because I feel like they needed this as a couple. If it's a goodbye or if it's a come back together, whatever, but they needed this and Matt needed to like get out of town and whatever. It's interesting because when Julie first leaves town, my initial thoughts were the same thoughts as yours. Like, you can't just leave town. You're in high school. You've got exams this week, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. When they have this scene in the car at the end, it finally hit me, oh, this is goodbye. And it didn't seem like up until that point that he was really going to leave until he finally says to her, I guess I'll see you around or something like that. He says, I'll see you Yeah, like they don't break up or say goodbye, but you you know that that's what's happening. You know it's done and you can see her crying. And I remember watching the scene for not the first time, but the first go around again Mm -hmm. and thinking, why is she crying? And I'm like, oh, Matt's gone. She knows. And she knows it. And she knew that she had to go to this festival because Mm -hmm. this may be the last time that they have with each other. That moment, it makes me forgive everything that came before it and her not responding to Tammy's phone calls. And I guess Tammy feels the same way. Well, yeah, because she comes into the house and Tammy is ready to bust her butt. Yeah. But Julie's in a state where it's like, what she has to do first is be a mother and take care of her daughter. It was a yeah. very sweet scene, just the two of them on the floor. Ah, oh, dude, it's heartbreaking. I think it's one of the things that this show does so well. I mean, I remember those moments. I don't know that I've had my heart broken like that. Ever? No, no, no. Like when you're young. You know, I've broken up with people as I've gotten older and it sucks and it's not fun. But there's something about that when you're 18 years old or 16 years old that it literally feels like the world is going to end. That's it. Absolutely. And no one has ever felt pain like you are feeling in that moment because it was the greatest love. And this show just nails that. It's so great. But then, yeah, but also like Amy T. Garden nails it too. I was 18 and I had to get screws put in my ankle. And so I was like in a cast for like four months over the summer. And my Mm -hmm. boyfriend came over and we like went to the park and went on swings and whatever. And then I came home and my mom looked at me and she goes, he broke up with you. And I started sobbing and I was like, yes. And she just like in the same way, we like sat in the foyer and she had her arm around me and she goes, you just don't do that to somebody in a cast. I was yeah, like, right? yeah, my crutches. It was the worst. I don't miss those moments from childhood in some respects. Like, I think as we get older, things don't hit us as hard emotionally or we've grown You're such a prepared. tough outer core that yeah. like we're prepared for. Or maybe that's just you and me being emotionally unavailable. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, because I broke up with someone like six months ago and it didn't feel like that. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm golden. But man, it just takes you back to those feelings. You know, so many. And it's something that Jason Kadams and the writers on this show, it was a Bridget Carpenter. Yeah, this is Bridget. This is Bridget all over it. She's so good. And they do such a wonderful job of tackling those moments. Anyway, I'll shut up now. Finally, this is the Becky that I know that I get to play with later. 
I liked this scene with her, Tim. She's softer. I feel like maybe just the anxiety has come down a little bit. She's a little more lived in. And also I just forget Maddie's so, so beautiful and photogenic and that smile, she kills me. But also what Tim said, Becky, shut up. Sit in this moment with me and be quiet and shut up. Once again, Taylor does a fantastic job of really earning that silence. He doesn't just go, shut up. He sits there, he lets it sit for a moment and he goes, Becky, just shut up. They both do. They both do this really fantastic thing. She kind of nods and it's not in mean shut up. It's just like, mm. I just, I just need a moment. Be in this moment with me together where we yeah, don't talk. Yeah, yeah. That's when I love when you know you're like really, I'm not saying they're not comfortable with each other yet, but when you're comfortable enough with a friend to be in silence, to just like sit yeah. in a car and not talk for 20 minutes. I love yeah. that. And it's yeah. like comfortable. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I was feeling like this was in the cards. We've always kind of wanted Matt to like reach out a little bit more, but everything was keeping him in Dylan. But yeah, the minute he started driving away, I was like, this is what you need to do. Matt needs to go see the world and see more of what is out there and stop Mm -hmm. having so many like responsibilities, maybe. And also that last shot. Like pull away if I'm just driving down that road. So beautiful. And I totally agree with you. I mean, we've seen in the last four seasons of this show, I mean, Matt's whole entire life has been lived taking care of his grandmother, being the quarterback, blah, 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 taking care of Julie, all this stuff. And I don't think in any of that time, Matt has ever had an opportunity to pursue his dreams, to go after the things that He's he wants He's never put himself first, ever. Yeah. And I think that he gets to have that opportunity here. And as I said before, the thing that this show does so well is capture those little slice of life moments. I mean, God, don't you remember being 18 and that feeling of independence for the first time? It's overwhelmingly scary, but it's also just awesome. It's it's awesome. And he gets to experience that. I remember driving off to college and feeling that exact Mm -hmm. same way. Like I've got all this freedom. I'm scared to death. Scared to death. But you know, it's that rite of passage. Do you know there's something sweet too? I don't want this to sound, it's going to be worded wrong, but that Julie lets him in that scene where they say goodbye, but they don't say goodbye. She lets him go in a way that is mm-hmm. incredibly mature for a high schooler. Let's him go without feeling guilt about it is the thing. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. It's not that she's allowing him to leave. I yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Yeah. It's that she's saying, I love you enough that I want you to yeah. be happy or try to find happiness. That's a very mature thing for both of these two. We get more Zach, right? Like we see him in Chicago a little bit. Am I crazy? He comes back in season five, I think, okay. for maybe two or three episodes. And that's it? Oh, that makes me sad. Lila never comes back, I don't think. I think this is Lila's last episode. Oh, God. So in the same episode, we basically say goodbye to Lila and Matt. Oh. And it's nuts because the only people that are left right now from the original cast are Tim, Julie, and Landry, as far as the kids are concerned. Yeah. We'll never see Smash again. I believe we see Street maybe one more Street time. Street comes back for the finale. But I don't know if there was ever actually a scene with Street in the finale. Oh, yeah, was I don't there? know if he's in a scene. Don't we see him in New York doing agent stuff? Mm-hmm. We already shot that. He may come back. I can't remember. I know Scott Porter himself, like the actual person, was back for the final episode. But I don't know I don't if know they if actually shot any scenes with him. Weird. I can't remember. I know Tyra comes back for a, a lot in five. Yes, Tyra comes back for one episode, I believe in the end. It's crazy to think about. Another one of those beautiful moments. I love that bus stop that they use. It's got such a a small town feel to it. Mm -hmm. If you've ever traveled by bus anywhere in Texas, that's what the little bus depots look like. You're not pulling into Grand Central Station here or Port Authority in New York. Bridget Carpenter does this, man. No matter what show it is that she's doing in all of her scripts that she's done for Friday Night Lights, Bridget Carpenter pulls at my heartstrings. Good 
God. Yeah, this was a beautiful episode. I really understated. Well, because it came right after the sun. So like, good God. Whereas the son has a massive plot in the sense that Saracen's father has just passed away. This one is just people living their lives. Simple, simple, simple. everyday stuff. Yes, so lived but in. really beautiful, beautiful stuff in it. Great episode. I mean, especially our work. I think you and I really were the shining stars of this episode. We're the glue that holds it together, Stace. Jesus. <laughs> Guys, I think that's it for season four, episode six. But please join us next time for season four, episode seven, entitled In the Bag. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to Pod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Orstano. And I'm also on Instagram at underscore Derek Phillips. Check us out on YouTube and blackbarrelmedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.